You're listening to The Shake Podcast, a podcast to inspire, motivate, and push the cannabis culture forward. My name is Jay Merzaria. You may know me from the past three seasons of The Shake Podcast, or as co-host of Sports Cannabis. This season, I'm sitting down with leaders and companies to talk about their process, lessons they've learned, and how to make an impact on the cannabis industry. We've come a long way from legalization two years ago, and obviously a long way left. You know who's been there helping us understand the climate and landscape? Detonate Cannabis Agency. Detonate Cannabis Agency specializes in all things print for the medical and recreational cannabis markets. From understanding the marketing rules for your print design needs to creating interactive experiential booths, packaging, and pop-ups, It's no wonder we only hear great things about Detonate Cannabis Agency from other licensed producers. You can really see the passion, know-how, and vision in their design and work. If you're looking for a fresh take and look, visit DetonateCannabis.com for all your print and design needs. This is Season 4 of The Shake Podcast. We had the opportunity to connect with Jordan Sinclair, VP of Communications at Canopy Growth, to discuss their future, current climate, all things Canopy Growth, as well as get a better understanding of their team and brand that's pushing the industry forward. So hey Jordan, it's great to have you on the shake today. The first time we met was at Flower Forward. Canopy Growth had graciously extended an invite to our team and of course, I could not resist the opportunity to connect with individuals behind the brand as well as get a better understanding of Canopy Growth's entrance to vapes and edibles. The market has changed and so has the climate and we're all working from home these days. But before we get started, thank you for coming on the Shake Podcast. How have you been despite the current climate and where are you joining us from today? First of all, thank you very much. I mean, Flower Forward was a, a big bet on our on our part. Um, we tried to get ambitious there and do almost like a you know, a textile product launch because we thought that, you know, the appetite was there and um, we're, we're pretty pleased with how it went. I think like we created a little bit of buzz for, um, for vape products in the midst of the vaping crisis that has sort of subsided at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was, it was awesome to connect with you. So thanks for having me back on. Um, to answer the question, I am uh, in Perth, Ontario, which is a small town. Mm-hmm. It's about uh 6,000 people that live in Perth, wow. and that's about yeah, it's about 20 minutes from our headquarters in Smith Falls, and uh, I, I don't live in Perth, but I live close to Perth, mm-hmm. and my internet connection is so bad at home uh, that I'm, uh, I'm chatting to you from my car wow. uh, in Perth. Yeah. We appreciate the dedication. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, for me, it's been an interesting transition. I would say one that I think my dogs are enjoying the most out of anyone. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you pivoted into the cannabis industry? Sure. Prior to working in cannabis, I worked on public policy in other areas. Uh, and so I worked at Environment Canada for a little while. I worked at uh, Veterans Affairs for a little while. And, you know, enjoyed the, the Ottawa life, enjoyed being a public servant and, and working on policy and working on, you know, programs that, that really matter to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know, deep down, 
I always had a passion for uh, drug policy specifically and always really thought that there was a better way to go about, you know, cannabis distribution, cannabis production, cannabis sales, everything uh, in, in a better way than prohibition. Like prohibition just always seemed very backwards to me. Uh, I grew up in, in a small town in Nova Scotia, just outside of Halifax. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, not an activist um, by any you know, definition of the word, but somebody that always attended the, you know, the local uh, cannabis day parades and always went up to the 420 parades and just, you know, found, um, I just found that the messages that were always there really resonated with me. So, you know, kind of fast forward into my, my working life. Mm -hmm. um, I met, you know, uh, I met our, our past CEO, Mark Sekulin, through a friend, mm -hmm. and uh, and he had just started up a company called Tweed at that point, mm -hmm. and uh, and it was just a medical marijuana producer. It was a tiny business, you know, a startup. We couldn't even afford to, you know, to wax the floors in the office. It was it was really a shoestring sort of operation, and I was young enough in in my career, and I honestly believed in the mission of the business enough that I left a pretty cushy federal government job. Uh, to join, you know, a risky cannabis startup, and that was about six years now, mm -hmm. uh, six years ago now, and I haven't regretted a minute of it. You know, it's been a, an incredible amount of, of work, uh, but it's also been really exciting, and it's been, you know, pretty cool to have a, you know, I'd, I'd say not in the driver's seat, but a, a front row seat for all of the historical changes that have happened in Canada over the last handful of years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And if we fast forward six years later, like you're saying. Canopy Growth is now known as the cannabis industry leaders. So if we had to break down Canopy Growth at a high level, how would you do that? Uh, so, I, I mean, I was, I was around when we were brainstorming, brainstorming what we were going to call Canopy Growth. And uh, it, really, it, Canopy Growth is only a thing um, because Tweed ended up buying uh, a medical cannabis business called Bedrocan. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't make sense to have you know, a parent company called Tweed and one of the one of the brand companies called Tweed. So we needed almost like a holding company mm -hmm. um, that uh, that we could operate out of. And so Canopy Growth was meant to be that. It was never meant to have much of a a front stage uh, appeal or or you know any real public persona. It was just supposed to be a hold co. But it it really took front and center because of the way that the the stock market performed and the way the canopy growth performed, it, it really started to balloon, you know, sort of through 2016, 17. And that got a lot of, a lot of notoriety on canopy growth itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and now really what we're trying to do is just get back to basics, get back to the brands, get back to the products uh, themselves. But I guess at the, at a high level, what I would say is canopy growth is a holding company and uh, it owns a, a bunch of businesses that are, related to cannabis or cannabinoids in some way. And that's gotten more diverse over the years. So we've got, you know, Tweed, which is our flagship brand, which is um, about about cannabis itself in mm -hmm. a couple of formats. Uh, and then we've got Spectrum Therapeutics, which is, you know, a medical cannabis company that does the research and does the physician education um, and is, a you know, a patient-facing uh, company in terms of delivering medical cannabis, not only in Canada, but in, uh, in a, a whole bunch of geographies around the world. Mm -hmm. And 
that that's yeah that's sort of the the big two but there's there's a, a number more if you go to canopygrowth.com you can always see like what other uh, what other cannabis businesses make up the rest of the family. And in order for Canopy to achieve the level of success that the company has attained, it relies really on a strong team, right? So uh, that's constantly pushing it forward. Now, recently, Canopy Growth has made changes to its board of directors, which in turn hasn't slowed the step of your company one bit. Can you talk about some of the experience that exists at Canopy Growth with you? Sure. I mean, a board in a big company like this is really about your governance, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's It's basically... Um, almost like the Senate functions in Canada, it's like sober second thought. You come up with all the plans, you present it to a bunch of people that have a lot of corporate experience, and that's how you usually earn your way onto a board. Uh, and then they ask you all the, all the hard questions, and if you have good answers to all of them, you proceed with those plans. And so it's good to have you know, a strong board experience. And I think we do have some really strong board experience, but on a, on a day-to-day basis, or even really like a, a month-to-month basis, mm-hmm. we're relying on, on the leadership within the business. So like our CEO, David Klein, our president, Radek Kovacevic, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other people um, that really push the business forward on a, on a daily basis. Okay. Now, speaking of experience, we had the chance to experience the edible rollout at Flower Ford, which we talked a little bit at the intro, and we had a glimpse to really take an eye into the future as well as enjoy the fruits of amazing partnerships that you guys have created. <laughs> so would you mind talking about some of the key takeaways and chat a bit more about the chocolate? You know, how's it been received so far? Yeah, I think we've, we've, um, we've got to get a couple more products into the market, to be honest, but we've mm-hmm. got... Uh, we've got a couple of chocolate products out there that are doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what we've really done is we've nailed the quality of the actual chocolate. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have, have come out with, you know, similar size or uh, similar dosage and potency. Um, but I think what, we did, what we've done that others maybe haven't done is that we've put a, a ton of focus on the quality of the chocolate itself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, from, from my perspective... Um, I've stopped giving out bottles of wine when I go to someone's house for a dinner party. Uh, I'm not going to anybody's house th- these days because of COVID. But, you know, I, I was really um, showing up at people's uh, dinner parties with one of these boxes of chocolate because I just think it's a, it's a really nice kind of treat. It's, it's a, a luxury product. It's, it's really high quality. Uh, and then it's got the added benefit of getting you a little bit stoned. So, the, you know, for me, it just turned into a great housewarming present. Um, so the chocolate's resonating really well in the market. And what about the beverages and drinks? Um, there's been a lot of hurdles across. Do you mind talking a little bit more about that? Man, we could do probably a 20-hour podcast on drinks. But, <laughs> yeah. the, the, but the drinks thing is um, is for us, a, it, it's finally to the point where we've got a drink in a can in the market mm-hmm. and the early feedback is uh has been really positive so we got uh something called hound's tooth and soda mm-hmm. which is you know pretty low dose of cannabis it's only two milligrams um but it's it's presented in a can like a a slim can similar to like a, a white claw or one of the hard seltzers that's really popular on the beverage alcohol side mm-hmm. these days um but it was a challenge it was a real challenge to get the recipe right mm-hmm. um we had uh we had a you know, more than a year uh, to work on the recipe and to come up with a way that we could get um, a cannabis beverage that actually tastes good to be stable and to sell it in a can. Mm-hmm. And we did that in, you know, the, this one area of our facility that had an R&D license. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but we couldn't produce enough of them in that little facility. So we had to, you know, we had to get another facility license, like a, a big bottling plant licensed. Mm-hmm. And using all that different gear in that plant um, was more challenging than we thought. Like getting the same recipe using uh, different equipment took us, you know, almost a month longer than we anticipated that it would. So it took a while to actually get out there. Mm-hmm. But now that it is out, it, it sold out almost immediately, which is you know, got its pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look online, uh, if you do like a good Google search, I think people are like pleasantly surprised with the taste, really pleased with um, how fast it kicks in. It's much faster than a traditional edible would kick in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I think what what is true across the entire board uh, when it comes to legal cannabis is that uh, the precision that goes into the testing uh, really does change people's viewpoint of how much they need in order to, to feel an effect. Mm-hmm. And so two milligrams probably sounds really light to somebody that's used to getting a cookie from a, a, you know, an unregulated dispensary where they were telling you they were giving you 100 milligrams. Um, you know, whether or not that was true or not is, is sort of a, a separate thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I think like we've changed a bunch of people's minds on what it takes to, um, to actually get the effect. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully... You know, as we as we keep out pumping out new recipes, what we'll do is is start to appeal to different people that might want ginger ale instead of soda, or they might want you know 10 milligrams instead of two, or they might want um, you know the, they might want the host plant brand, or they might want like another format that we're coming up with, mm-hmm. uh, and all of that will compound, and hopefully what we'll end up doing is uh, is disrupting the beverage alcohol industry a little bit because that has been you know our north star as we try to come up with these things. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that you just mentioned, which I want to touch on is the fact that you were saying that, you know, it was bringing edibles, chocolates, or even something like a beverage like this has replaced bringing wine over to someone's house. Unfortunately, due to the circumstances right now in COVID-19, we're unable to do that. So I was hoping that we can look at something that is a little bit more short term, uh, directly related to COVID-19. And I was wondering, what are the impacts that the latest list of essential services will have on Canopy? Well, I I think that you know, the industry had a couple of, a couple of really tough years. Uh, in, you know, one tough year, really, especially in 2019. Just the rollout wasn't as quick in some aspects as we wanted, and that put a lot of pressure on producers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you can go through a long list of policy decisions um, that seem to me to be tinged by, uh, by stigma. Mm-hmm. And um, cannabis is always... You know, whether it's in the media, the headlines always have, uh, you know, a, a, a funny pun in them. And the, it always seems to be an industry that's the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I'll start by just saying that being making it onto the list of businesses that was deemed to be essential in a number of different provinces and in, in some of the states, it was such a morale boost mm-hmm. internally uh, it, at a time when we really needed it. Like COVID is scary. Mm-hmm. And it's impacting everybody's life. Um, it, it impacts me different on a daily basis. I think everybody's going through sort of personal ups and downs as they're trying to deal with, you know, the new reality and the, all the fear that comes with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when you're looking for silver lining, uh, being finally recognized as a business that has a rightful place in society and that is producing products that, that really matter uh, and is doing so in a you know in a policy framework that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it says a lot. It says a lot about the product. It says a lot about 
you know, cannabis uh, users. It says a lot about cannabis businesses and the entrepreneurs that are, make up the industry. So we really have taken that almost like a rallying cry. Mm-hmm. Like we're trying to look for things that we can um, that we can rally around as a business, and that is one of them. Mm-hmm. And then once you get kind of past the the pride, mm-hmm. uh, you get into the hard work. Mm-hmm. And um, being an essential service, it also comes with a massive obligation because what you're essentially tasked with is making sure that you are doing your part to not be a place where people are becoming infected. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these operational um, questions that you have to answer. Uh, you've got to come up with a scheme that you know protects your employees and protects your consumers, mm-hmm. uh, and to roll that out really quickly. And so there's you know there, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen behind the scenes to move from a brick and mortar business into a click and collect uh, centric operation like that that we've done it quite quickly but it, it took um it took a lot of late nights to be able to get there mm-hmm. and now we're at a point where we're starting to open the stores back up again and, and using this click and collect model so it's been i'd say that that one angle the retail element the brick and mortar uh, element of our business has probably had you know the most decisions and the most you know internal um you know, brain capacity and IQ capacity uh, going into it because it's the it's the part of the business um, that is subject to the most amount of change in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. If you contrast it with, you know, the medical business, for example, the which is always exclusively e-commerce, mm-hmm. the IT team had to do a bunch of work to be able to stand up the technology to let our call center work from home. Mm-hmm. But once that's done, it, it it's a lot more seamless uh, in terms of. Uh, a customer experience. They were they were already going online. They were already going uh, to the mailbox to get their order, and that continues. And so, uh, really, the the tougher challenges are the ones that require the most, you know, the the greatest number of things to change. Makes sense. And let's say we contrast that when we look at the long term. What is Canopy Growth doing to help build balance sheet strength to respond to weather periods of economic uncertainties similar to what we're facing today? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of things, right? Like we, the the biggest, I'd say the <laughs> the biggest point there is more revenue is the easiest way to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like we're rolling out products and getting things to market is, is uh, the number one thing that we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we got to get uh, flour to market that people like, that people want to buy again. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to do that in, uh, in our own retail channels and in, in, um, in some of the provincially owned retail channels or some of the independently owned retail channels around the country. So that, that's a huge push. Um, and then on the other side of things, like we got to get a little bit more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, we close some of our huge greenhouses and we're opting for, um, outdoor cannabis farms rather than some of the huge greenhouses that we had out in BC. Mm-hmm. So that's been a, been a big shift for us. I think we're going to be able to, um, you know, to, to, to still get good quality product, but to do it, um, at a fraction of the cost that we were to those greenhouses. So that's a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think with the new CEO coming on board with David Klein, we're just, you know, we're trying to, like I said earlier, get back to basics, like think a lot more about um, about the products mm-hmm. uh, than we do about anything else. And I think if, if we're focused on that, if we're focused on the product and we're focused on the consumer, uh, then we'll be in a great spot at the end of the year. The cannabis industry is evolving quickly and so are the people in it. Have you ever wondered who's pushing it forward? and how are they doing it, or want to get a better understanding of the people behind the brands, 
Or maybe you're curious about the branding and marketing, or maybe retail. Maybe it's dosing, maybe it's cooking, who knows? But the Shake Podcast has you covered and it's brought to you by Treehouse Solution. One thing that you said is really providing flour to the market that people like. And uh, retail provides real and direct touch points to interact with consumers. How has this been integral to understanding consumer insights as well as what they want when it comes to looking from a flower? It is a direct, you know, it's a direct link to the customer, whether we own it or we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, more retail is just is going to be better for the industry because, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll steal a quote from uh Someone that I, I worked with a long time ago at Tweed named Ian Rapsy, mm-hmm. smoking weed is an analog thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you you want you want to get uh, a, an experience that people can touch and people can feel, and that you know that comes to life in retail in a way that it just never can over e-commerce. Like you want to go in, you want to smell the products, you want to be able to talk to people, you want to be able to get a sense of what you're buying. Um, I think that you know that's one of the most exciting things about cannabis retail is the fact that people, you know, even including patients, uh, can go in and they can actually touch and they can maybe not physically touch, but they can at least smell the product and, and ask a real human being questions. So there's there's no doubt um, that that is the number one thing that we need uh, for the industry to succeed. Mm-hmm. And the more retail that we get, the more points of retail that we get the better off we'll be. Like I'm sitting in this small town that I, I told you about, mm-hmm. um, Perth. There's no store in Perth. There's no store in Carlton Place, which is the next town over. There's no store uh, in Smith Falls, which is also close to here. Like that, All of the people that live in these towns that want cannabis, they either go where they were already getting it, which is an illegal source, mm-hmm. or they go online. And I think like a lot of people, um, they're not going to change their behavior until it's convenient to do so. And if there was a cannabis store on the main street in this town, mm-hmm. it would be a lot more convenient for people to make the choice to participate in the in the legal market. Um, and so that that one single thing, like getting into retail, is just it's so crucial and it's so common sense. Uh, and finally, now, you know, COVID nineteen notwithstanding, uh, we're at a point where you know the number of retail locations across the country is finally starting to make sense. Mm-hmm. There is still a bit more room um, to grow. There's a lot more room to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but finally, it's at a point where we can point to it and say, okay, like at least it's not critical. At least it's not the reason that we're, um, that we're falling short of expectations. And you guys also have retail within Ontario, uh, which was most recently awarded. Can you talk a bit more about what consumers can expect from a Tokyo Smoke retail experience and why it made sense to you know, really use this brand to work with and leverage? Well, I mean, Tokyo Smoke, they had the, the whole concept of adding on the social element of cannabis mm-hmm. like long before retail was a real thing. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they, this is a concept uh, as coffee shops uh, has been in Canada and Toronto anyway for, for a few years. Uh, and now finally we're starting to actually get the Tokyo smoke stores that, um, that were drawn up in the, you know, in the drawing board. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actual cannabis in them. I think anyway, the reason that it resonates, uh, so well with people is that it's inviting mm-hmm. that, you know, the design element of the stores are, are cool. Like they pique people's curiosity. People actually want to go inside, uh, and they, they want to, you know, get a sense of, of what's actually happening in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one thing that they've done quite well 
um, is that they don't hit you over the head with the weed leaf mm -hmm. or with the, the green cross that you might see outside um, a lot of dispensaries. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, that one thing where you can kind of signal to people that, hey, this is okay, this is a lot like anything else that um, that's already a part of your life, uh, but in a subtle way and in, in an in a aesthetically pleasing way, that's something that I think resonates with people. It just looks really cool uh, from the outside and you're drawn inside. And then once you're in there, you're like, Oh, this is awesome. Like this is, you know, this is how people are drawing people in to learn about weed. And then once you're in there, you get, you get to do that, right? Like you get to talk to people um, that actually know something about the product and you get uh, not just our own products, but um, a bunch of other producers products in there as well. Yeah. You guys provide a full uh, circle experience there. That is just absolutely incredible and highly advise anyone that hasn't gone to definitely go visit a Tokyo smoke. It's a very premium feeling experience. When you walk in, people are very, very welcoming. And like you said, provide a ton of information, which is something that canopy growth has emphasized creating educational initiatives to ensure a complete consumer experience. And I was wondering, can you explain why this is so important, especially for medicinal users and talk about some of the initiatives that you guys have undertaken? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, cannabis, especially my role, right? Like cannabis communications is, is always kind of painted with, um, with the brush that the audience is stigmatized. Mm -hmm. like the, the people that you're talking to, um, if it's, you know, general comms, like you're talking about mass communications, mm -hmm. you're talking to a group of people that have been tinged by the drug war for decades. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that means that uh, they probably um, hold on to a couple of myths that are not true. Uh, they probably are uh, hesitant to assign to you a, a very much trust. And that stigma uh, is is palpable all the time. So what we're always trying to do uh, is normalize. Like we're trying to uh, normalize the industry, normalize the product, make sure that people have got you know access to to facts, mm -hmm. uh, and that's provided an amazing platform um, for us as a business to be able to gain a little bit of visibility because we've never been shy about you know standing up and and talking about what's important to the industry and, and why it's important. Mm -hmm. um, but we've also never shirked the fact that there is responsibility with, uh, with cannabis, mm -hmm. you know, the same way that, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there because of, you know, prohibition and a war on drugs. I think there's also on the extreme other side of that misinformation about the fact that, you know, cannabis is, is some perfect panacea that can do no wrong. Like neither is true. Mm -hmm. Um, there, it's, it's somewhere in the middle, uh, and in that kind of, that gray area, uh, that's where we've chosen to, to play, right? But the gray area is the one that's always informed by um, by facts and evidence and the context that actually makes things interesting. And so, you know, we, we've found a number of ways to do that. One of them you mentioned is um, is through uh, an initiative that, that we've started with Uber and with uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Mm -hmm. uh, and that really is just an, edu an educational platform reminding people that they shouldn't be smoking weed and driving. Mm -hmm. uh, we, this is all based on research that we, um, that we paid for with an arm's length grant uh, a handful of years ago. Mm -hmm. And the research that was conducted you know, told us very, very simply that the number one thing we had to be worried about was that there's a pervasive myth mm -hmm. uh, that cannabis users think they're better drivers when they're high. Mm -hmm. uh, not a single shred of evidence supports that. Uh, the evidence you know, says that 
cannabis users are uh, more easily distracted behind the wheel, uh, that their, their reaction speeds are much slower, which is not good um, when you're driving to have slower reaction speeds. Mm-hmm. And so there are very real risks associated with getting high and driving, and you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we thought that if we use a little bit of humor uh, and we could attach ourselves to, um, you know, the trust that Mad Canada has already established in the country, mm-hmm. um, that we could come up with something cool. And I think that campaign uh, did a pretty good job of breaking through and becoming a part of the zeitgeist, you know, at a time when, you know, cannabis headlines were essentially every single section of every single newspaper. Um, but we still found a way to break through with that one. So that was, you know, a bit of a feather in the cap. Yeah. And at the beginning of this conversation, uh, we started off talking about Flower Ford. You know, we discussed the entrance of vapes at that time. And most recently, Stores and Bickle has announced that Health Canada had issued the medical device license for the new Volcano Medic 2. What does this mean for medical patients? What's changed in the background is that uh, Health Canada has acknowledged that this is a product that they'll actually reimburse medical users for Mm -hmm. uh, if they claim it on their taxes. And so it's, it's really like at the end of the day, it's, it's a, a nod to um, the team at Stores and Bickle's ability to, uh, to engineer something um, that can make its way through that approval process mm-hmm. because medical devices are, are very hard, hard to be approved, you know, for obvious reasons, right? Like you, you're essentially saying to sick people that, you know, they, they should feel confident and comfortable um, with the quality of the product. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of time to be able to work these things through approvals. Um, but functionally, what it means for consumers is that um, the government is, again, inching towards making decisions um, that are not stigmatized, that they they are recognizing that medical cannabis uh, has a a real place in medicine and um, that the Stores and Bickle team has, again, you know, led the way by getting another device approved. If we talk about some of the partnerships that you guys had, which we were talking about a little bit earlier, and, and, you know, you have one, as mentioned, with Seth Rogen. We're working with him on a a company called House Plant mm-hmm. um, that he's founded with a group of people. And, uh, and I mean, House Plant is essentially the design aesthetic that goes with it, the name, you know, every, every element of this um, is, is Seth and Evan Goldberg's brainchild about how they would love to, you know, to see a cannabis business. And we essentially bring the production side of the equation. So we grow their strains. Um, we do a, a bunch of the distribution, um, but it's a really close collaboration, you know, where they get uh, the, you know, the, the tone and the brand and the design and all of these other elements are all 100% theirs. Uh, and then they trust us with the production of, uh, of the weed um, that goes inside of those jars. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, a, it's a close partnership. Uh, and for us, it, it's, I mean, it's something that's pretty exciting because like, we're a Canadian company, mm-hmm. we're a cannabis company. And if you said those two words together, just Canada and cannabis, and then asked 100 people on the street to name a celebrity um, after those two words came to mind, I think a lot of people would say Seth, like he's, he's synonymous with cannabis, mm-hmm. and synonymous with, you know, cannabis activism and normalization. So a lot of that stuff just fits. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, that really is a big part of the working relationship is the fact that there's just makes a lot of good sense in the background. There's a good cultural fit between our two teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the decision to get into dried flour, um, well, that's the only thing that we do. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that we're a, we're a weed company, so the decision was pretty easy. And do you believe that these unique partnerships with people like Seth really provide an opportunity for you to market in a unique uh, way considering the rules and regulations that are out there right now? It pre- 
presents a challenge, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not very simple, um, to, you know, to have a celebrity associated with the brand. Mm -hmm. Um, the way that we've done this is we, we've worked with people, um, that are the owners of businesses, um, who happen to be famous. Like that's kind of the way that we put it. Mm -hmm. Um, we started this with Snoop Dogg years ago. Mm -hmm. We do the, uh, uh, you know, a fairly similar arrangement, um, with Seth and with Evan, Mm -hmm. um, I think what it does is it offers a little bit of diversity uh, to the to the broader kind of canopy growth portfolio. So um, Tweed is is one very distinct brand. Tokyo Smoke is another distinct brand. Uh, and then when you layer other things on, it essentially just makes us appeal to a broader group of people. So it, it, you know that's the upside for us is that it diversifies us, mm-hmm. um, but it, it uses our core strengths um, to essentially be able to. to present that to people in different ways. So speaking of broad appeal, one thing that Trio Solution, our, our parent company, has launched a channel called Sports Cannabis. And it seems that sports and cannabis are synonymous with each other. And the way yeah. that the uh, leagues are kind of rolling out their new laws surrounding cannabis, it's providing for a lot of uh, freedom for players to interact with CBD, hopefully a little bit more within the future. BioSteel uh, and Canopy Growth have uh, intent to pursue a strategic partnership to co-develop CBD products. Um, So do you guys believe that uh, sports and cannabis is the next big wave? And is this the reason why that partnership was created? Yeah, I mean, it's a a massive, massive wave. CBD is present in, you know, professional dressing rooms all over the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, whether or not the athletes are allowed to use it, they're, they're doing so because they see the value in the, in in CBD and they see the value, um, especially that it promotes, uh, against some of the other options that are out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the biosteel thing, um, came to life because Mike Camilleri, who is the, the co-CEO over at biosteel, mm-hmm. he's seen this stuff firsthand. And when you talk, when you sit down and talk to Mike and I should, I should, um, hook you guys up so he can come on the podcast at another time. He'll yeah. tell you horror stories about, you know, sitting in dressing rooms and guys having, you know, pill cocktails mm-hmm. uh, mixed in into a beer uh, and then drinking it. And then the number of drugs and the number of substances that athletes are putting into their body to be able to deal with the wear and tear is, is at almost a crisis point. And so when you introduce something like cannabis into the mix, mm-hmm. um, what you're doing is you're, you're dialing down, uh, you know, the, the risk of overdose, um, you're dialing down the risk and the severity of, uh, of having a dependence on these products. There's just a lot of upside, uh, that comes with using cannabis, almost like a a wellness product or as a, as a preventative medicine or as, a um, as, as like a, an anti-inflammatory product. Mm -hmm. Those sorts of, of themes really resonate with athletes. Um, and, and that, I think got us down the road of pursuing a real relationship with biosteel mm-hmm. uh, because when we were trying to think of like, what do we actually need here? What we wanted was Gatorade that actually fulfilled the promise of Gatorade. Mm-hmm. And that is that like, it's not loaded with sugar. Mm-hmm. It actually is going to help you in some real way to be able to recover based on the ingredients that are in it. Uh, and biosteel really is that. And then when we add CBD into it, um, it's a whole nother level. So we already have um, BioSteel CBD products are already available in the U.S. 
online and in vitamin shop in like 500 locations across the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then in Canada, it's it's you know tailing a little bit because the regulations are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it's it's coming. Like we fully intend on having BioSteel CBD products in Canada really soon. Mm-hmm. And it, we're doing that because we think it actually fulfills um, a need in the in the sport market. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. A lot of the athletes that we have spoken to, especially the ones in the States, all echo very similar sentiments as the one that you addressed, which is the fact that, you know, it was a number of different uh, drugs that were being layered into these almost cocktail mixes. And it just was such a negative experience that being able to shed light on what CBD can do and it being such a positive experience, it makes sense as to why you guys would align with BioSteel. But even before that, in 2019, you guys aligned with the NHL Alumni Association and you guys signed a landmark agreement to conduct medical exams and brain scans. Can you talk a little bit more about this initiative? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, the Alumni Association is a group that is focused solely on the on you know the issues that face players after they leave the league. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a great way to honor um, you know, some of the, the sport heroes of yesterday and, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a big NHL fan. So there's like a long list of people that are part of the alumni association that I still get giddy when I get to, you know, be in calls or be in meetings with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but really like those guys are, are thinking all the time, how can they serve their membership? Mm-hmm. And their membership is made up a lot, largely of people who are in the league at a time when concussions um, we're not taken as seriously. We're not treated as seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the rules didn't protect people from getting them, and, and certainly didn't uh, promote uh, disclosing them. And there's probably still a little bit of that culture left in the sport, um, mm-hmm. where you know there it's it's you know a lot of elite athletes, a lot of people who are very tough, and they probably don't want you know to be told that they're they're not allowed to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has come a long way in the last 10 years mm-hmm. where, you know, um, concussions are probably are hopefully going to go down and, and hopefully the long-term brain injuries associated with sport can go down. Um, but there's a latency here where the people that are members of the alumni association right now, those are the people that are dealing with problems from, you know, the league of yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that means that, uh, you know, concussions, especially, um, the effects that uh, compounded concussions can have on, on someone's brain health uh, are, is a big issue for the Alumni Association. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're in a research project with them. Um, we are the funder of that project. The research itself is being conducted by a group called NECA Health. Mm-hmm. And the Alumni Association and NECA and Canopy, we all work together uh, to try and see if we can, you know, we can find um, a way that we can apply cannabinoids to people that have brain damage from concussions. And so this is going to be a lengthy project. We're still in the very, very early phases of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a place where we think we can, you know, we can apply science and try and, you know, prove out the case and prove out the evidence uh, for the medical efficacy of cannabis. So it's fairly clear uh, while speaking with you that canopy growth really is the industry leader and is really doing everything it can to push the cannabis industry forward. Something recently uh, that that we have to mention is that Canopy Growth was awarded uh, for corporate culture and marketing excellence. What does this mean for your team? Culture is near and dear to me, uh, very near and dear to me, as as you know, an indicator that you've got a strong team and an indicator that you've got a strong business. Mm-hmm. I think you can tell so much about a place by 
the energy that you feel when you leave it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean like leaving the organization, but when you just leave at the end of the day, but you walk in and into a group of people and you leave, you can tell so much about that group by the energy that you're left with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Canopy, especially, um, especially, you know, the, the office that we've got in Toronto and our headquarters in Smith Falls, when people come in there, they always comment on the fact that, like, it almost feels like it's its own sort of drug, like mm-hmm. the buzz that they get just by being in the environment. And that's attributed to, you know, one simple thing, and that's that our corporate culture is very inviting. Mm-hmm. Um, we want smart people. We want people that are collaborative. We want people that have incredibly high emotional intelligence um, because we're in a stressful, fast-paced industry, and, and those sorts of attributes um, just make us more resilient. And so, you know, we put a lot of energy into our corporate culture. We manage it actively. Mm-hmm. Um, we're constantly having, you know, sit downs with groups of people to just pick their brains, figure out what's working, what's not working. We put those, you know, those into reports um, that, uh, that we look at every six months or so, and that we actually make decisions on the business uh, based on, you know, this cultural scorecard that we have internally. So to be recognized uh, for having a strong corporate culture is something that, you know, that I really take as, as, um, a personal success mm-hmm. and as a group success for the entire organization. And then the marketing side of things, it's, it's very similar, right? Like we're launching into a market in a very competitive landscape against a lot of other very brilliant brands. Mm-hmm. And so to be recognized um, for your marketing, uh, it's just, you know, it's sort of validation for all the hard work, all the late nights mm-hmm. uh, and a validation that, you know, you're on the right path when it comes to, when it comes to those things. So Jordan, we really appreciate you joining us on the Shake podcast today. But before we let you go, we have one question which we ask all of our guests. And that is, is there a book, a piece of technology, or a past experience that has helped shape who you are today? So there's a, there's a book called Ishmael mm-hmm. um, that is essentially a zookeeper mm-hmm. and a very wise ape. And the zookeeper comes to find that the ape can communicate with him. And they have almost like a professor and pupil uh, discussion about the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ape turns out to be very wise uh, and turns out to really teach the person uh, an incredible amount about, you know, the natural world, the physical world, the importance of uh, civilization as, as a cooperative effort. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that book taught me a lot of things, uh, but the, the number one overarching thing is that regardless of uh, of what you think of somebody going into an interaction, uh, they've got a, a depth and a set of experience that is almost guaranteed to be valuable to you in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that perspective, um, I think, is, is, uh, has shaped who I am today. We want to give a huge thank you to Jordan Sinclair, VP of Communications at Canopy Growth, for joining the Shake podcast presented by Trio Solution. Please check out their website, www.canopygrowth.com. We also want to thank our loyal Shake listeners for taking the time out of your day to listen to our podcast. You can join the discussion or drop us a line at www.triosolution.com and on Instagram at the Shake Podcast. Please check out our parent Instagram at Trio Solution. And if you're a huge sports fan, 
or a diehard cannabis fan and love everything else in between, check out at Sports Cannabis on our Instagram. If you're on Twitter, follow us at THS underscore audio. And be sure to look out for our next episode when we chat with another industry-leading representative. We hope you enjoyed our session and stay tuned for our next podcast. Podcast.